G'day folks, AOS Coach here, and we are going to be talking, I guess, a post-event discussion and wrap-up from the World Championships of Warhammer. Uh, it was a tournament that happened about a month ago. It was a best-of-the-best -best style tournament that took place over in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, we are going to talk about, reflect, discuss the good, the bad, the, uh, you know, is it an event that we want to go to in the future? Um, what were our highlights? We're going to talk about it all. Um, and I am joined by Henry Wagner uh, making his channel debut and Tom Oliver, who you may know from a recent Maggotkin of Nurgle chat. I say recent, it was like six months ago, but it's still recent in my heart. Uh, g'day, welcome both. And uh, World Championships of Warhammer, what a crazy event that was. Henry, do you want to introduce yourself to the fine folks who may not know who you are? Uh, so hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Henry. I live up in Toowoomba in Queensland. Um, I've been playing war games for about 20 years now, since primary school, uh, when I started back in fantasy. Um, kind of jumped around, whole different, whole bunch of different games, played pretty much every game under the sun. Um, but about two years ago, I started my kind of side business, Polymath Tabletop. And I've been really kind of diving into all aspects of the hobby, trying to excel at every different aspect. Um, and yeah, kind of started taking AOS a bit more seriously when I started all that. And that got me all the way over to Atlanta um, as of about, about a month ago. And it was a fantastic experience. So keen to talk about it a bit more with everyone here. Yeah, I'm, I'm super curious to hear from you both, considering that my experience was being one of the tournament organizers. So running around, making sure hopefully your game's ended on time i'm sure there'll be some things you want to mention at this particular point but like you know i, I was one of the tournament organizers you both played um so i'd be really curious to hear yeah um your experience but tom uh people may know you from nurgle uh do you want to introduce yourself again for the people who may have missed it and they're going to watch that nurgle video straight after this one yeah sure uh basically what henry said i've been playing game for about games for about 20 years i started primary school um, jumped over to AOS about 18 months ago, though, and I've been playing largely Nurgle, um, painted up a few other factions in that time, and I'm about to start mucking around with, another, with a new faction um, heading into next year, which is pretty exciting. But, um, yeah, sort of jumped straight into the tournament scene and uh, was lucky enough to get over to the States in a pretty short time of playing this game. So, you know, maybe I'll share a little bit about the World Championships and you guys can kind of add some like overlaying goodness, right? So the World Championships is a new concept to Games Workshop. They, this is an event that they are running. And there was a series of events uh, across the world, independent as well as Games Workshop run events, where if you won the event, uh, you would get what's called a golden ticket. And that allowed you access to this particular tournament. So the World Championships wasn't something that you could just physically buy a ticket to attend, attend like your traditional um, tournament. Uh, it is something that basically was a reward for frontline gaming events and, uh, you know, events like mine, Sydney GT, and, you know, a lot of events across the world, right? You had uh, Australia, Belgium, Canada, China, Denmark, England, France, um, like there's heaps of, you know, Poland, Philippines, Scotland, Singapore, like Sweden, USA, there was... Uh, something like 87 um, players who attended. Obviously, there's probably a bunch of people who couldn't make it. So um, big pool of international people all vying and fighting for, the, I guess, the chance to call themselves the, ch the world champion of Warhammer. Um, anyone else want to add anything to that? Henry? 
I think me and Tom are both here just waiting for the other one to start, but I'll, I'll start it. Um, I think it's a fantastic thing that, that GW are doing. You're really kind of pushing that they are offering a kind of the top level, best of the best style event. Um, previously, that's always been run by kind of people external to the company, uh, which is always good because a lot of the tournaments that are run for the game are run by people external. Um, but to have kind of something that is the official 100%, this is the G-Dub, this is the World Championships of Warhammer, uh, it's a it's an awesome thing that they're, they're going to kind of push ahead and, and kind of build up to be the big flagship event that it can be. Yeah, so last year they had, while they had an event, it was the uh, the, the finals for the US Open. Uh, this was the first, um, I guess, World Championships of Warhammer, so a very different event. Um, and there's some really interesting things that um, played out during the event, especially the double elimination, which I'm sure you'll have some opinions on. But Tom, anything else you'd add about just generally the World Championships? Yeah, so it's not just uh, World Championships for Age of Sigmar, it was a World Championships for uh, the core game systems for Games Workshop Sands Middle Earth, um, which I really hope goes next year because it's a great game to see being played on tabletop. Um, but it wasn't the really cool thing that I didn't know heading into this was that it wasn't just uh, World Championships from a competitive level, there was also a grand narrative event at the uh, convention, um, which I got a, like, a really exciting chance to go and spend some time in there just walking around. I was like, which is where people were playing like purely narrative focused gaming and um you know people in costume like running events within that and all that stuff which is really really cool and i had no idea that that existed in the world ever and made me feel really bad that we've probably ruined uh the games because uh, that seemed how they were intended to be played um not us uh, getting all hung up on places but it was um that, that was a really cool aspect of it that they organized yeah, it's a good point, actually, because you did have, um, so first off, it was Age of Sigma, which was about 90 players, uh, 40k had players, there was a kill team tournament as well as Underworld. So they were the four core game systems. Um, people were fighting over not only their own individual rankings, but also um, there was a bit of a country uh, competition going on. Uh, there was also a grand narrative, um, which was for 40K, which is incredibly awesome. Henry, what else was at the event? Um, so they had a kind of a big store as well at the front, which was really cool because you got to see a lot of the, the models that you don't really get to see at a lot of the, um, at a lot of the shops, um, like a whole bunch of Forge World stuff, a whole bunch of exclusive um, merch as well. Like I picked up a couple of shirts that you literally can't buy anywhere else. So I actually played in a casual 40K one today um, and I wore one of the shirts that I got over there and everyone's like, holy crap, that's amazing. Where do you get the shirt? And it's just like, oh, this is when I went over there. The only way to get it is to go to one of their big, cool events. So... Um, but that was awesome. But kind of one of the biggest things that, that jumped out to me early was just how like there were so many people and you were surrounded by people who were all there because they are borderline obsessed with the exact same thing as you. And I've been to a couple of other, other big events. I've attended WTCs for War Machine. And just that feeling is like no other. Being in a room with 400, 500 other people that are all there for the same reason that you are is just fantastic. And it's, it's awesome to see kind of the community come together behind these events. Yeah. For, for me, like, um, 
it was awesome to meet so many people that I haven't met on Twitter, especially I've been to a couple of American tournaments um, in the past, LVO, Adepticon, just to, to name a few, uh, and I'll be going to LVO again next month. But I haven't really got a chance to kind of get to know the Europeans. So like hanging out with the French, hanging out with, you know, the Polish players, hanging out with, you know, Sweden. And like it was so cool to meet the, you know, all of the Europeans. And we all have that thing in common. Yeah. Um, Tom, I see yeah, you, you've nodding your head have you anything else to add uh just mirroring that sentiment exactly like i met so many so many cool people over the over the four days and um and it was really cool to see different gaming cultures in action um you know and, and and see what that standard of play is like right across the world it was a really unique experience um, which i'm really thankful to have pat it was really really cool any particular insights from from like that that culture that maybe you'd want to share um I think there was like I, one of the biggest takeaways was that intent was so key, um, and you know even if there were language barriers or um, uh, or you know diff maybe even different interpretations of rules or what what have you, um, it was really good. You know, in all all eight of my games, I'll you know start the game off with that conversation of like, hey, you know, let's let's declare intent before the game starts. Um, you know, if you want to make something happen, let's make it happen, and everybody was super on board to do that. So. It was, you know, the, the game, you know, in games, the level of cooperation amongst these top level players was actually quite, quite phenomenal from what I saw. And that was really, really heartening to see that the, the community is really cool on that front. Henry, anything else that you'd want to call out here? Oh, no, just 100% kind of supporting what Tom was saying. Like, when you are playing at such a, a high level, like millimeters matter, like I had, I had and my opponents had tons of opportunities to um kind of pick up on those little mistakes or not share a pertinent rule because you're stressed you're so stressed and you're so focused about what you're doing um but the kind of the camaraderie as kind of like hey we're all here because we're all good at the hobby that we play and we spend our time in uh was amazing like i had one game against a french player and i apologize every time i say it Everest, because I'm 100 percent sure I'm butchering that name. Uh, where throughout one of his turns, he kind of said, "I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this," and then at the end of the turn, we realised he'd, he'd messed it up. But he and he just started panicking, and I was like, "No, no, no, mate, it's fine. You've said it consistently throughout the turn. This is what you meant to do. You didn't move those models that extra inch." And he was just like, "Oh, thank you so much." It's like, "No, no, no. Like we're playing to intent. This is what you intended to do," but that wasn't that's just a really good example but that wasn't a unique experience like every single one of my games was that same level of no no no. like we both know what you intended to do you've said that you're intending to do it let's play it Let, let's figure out this this puzzle i think tom after one of our games we were talking about saying that we almost saw the turns as a puzzle to be solved but we almost worked cooperatively in some points of that not that we wanted to kind of not that i was like i was gunning for my opponents to to beat me but kind of you presented the challenge and then we were keen to see if they could solve the puzzle and solve the problem and then what challenge they'd present to you uh mm -hmm. which is just amazing and i haven't had that experience anywhere else i think for me the really interesting part of the culture was uh and i'm reminded of mike brandt who is the head of uh, global um events and um i guess was the face of of the um the games workshop at the event but he stood up when the event started and said um you're all losers 
And it was really interesting that he kind of mentioned, and I'm paraphrasing, he actually, he did call you all losers, but I, I can't remember the exact sentence he, he quoted. But it was interesting because everyone in the room won their event to come in. And some of them won some massive events to get the spot. Yet winners, people who probably dominate in their local communities, who are maybe names who have been on podcasts and, and talked about their faction and, you know, you see them on a tournament register and you're like, oh, I hope I avoid that person. Some of those people were going to go zero and five. Some of them were going to lose their first couple of games. And that was really weird spot to have that culture to go, right, well, you're all winners and you've all won something to get here, yet someone has to lose. So what was that going to do from a cultural perspective? Were people going to get emotional? Were people going to get flustered? Were people going to quit on the spot? Um, and surprisingly, actually, I think to you, what you're both saying, the culture was very collaborative and people, regardless if they were losing their games or winning their games, I felt it was a really good vibe. Is it the same? Would you agree from, from the player's perspective? It seemed like everyone was just enjoying themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. And like, like in games, I like absolutely no, no issue. Like there are a couple of, of things that I, I think created some unnecessary uh, tension, um, which is a structural component of the event which i'll probably talk about later on but um but as far as like playing the game together with another person the the i i didn't see any sort of of that angle shooting that you know that that those points of um of debate around you know really finicky stuff to the point where the game and the the matter between two people was going to deteriorate um to a point where like you couldn't you couldn't play it out from a good good time we even had some some teammates who went over who probably had some pretty pretty heated starts to games um, and some interactions and were able to then rebuild like you know it, but everyone sort of understood like you know like when we're playing with yes world championships but world championships are playing with toys um is is probably not something to like you know get into fights over and, and all that sort of stuff um so that was that was amazingly positive um and and yeah and and some of the the ways that um even the books like you know i i have one game against um a one of the French players, um, Christophe, um, which was just one of the most, like like Henry said, one of the most collaborative experiences of um, ever that I've had in a game. But it wasn't just during the game, like the the 20, 30 minutes after that game, we just spent like talking out like that was a really cool game. Like you had you done this or this has gone your way or X, Y, Z, um, it would have changed. Or how, like, you know, if you're going to go play somebody else in this matchup ever again, you probably should have thought about this sort of thing. So it wasn't, yeah, it, you know, it didn't, it wasn't by any, for me, um, you know, those sorts of experiences really didn't indicate that, like, you know, people were there to be cutthroat to, to really, um, you know, have a good time at the expense of others, which was which was good, which I think can be a connotation with high-level com com competition. Yeah, like, the minute you think about, like, you know, the best of the best, a bunch of winners getting together, you know, most people's mind goes to worst-case scenario, which is, mm. you know, you know, worst of the worst, cheating and, you know, mm. bad experiences and salty players. And generally that wasn't true. And uh, people came with a really good spirit. Um, obviously, there's probably some somewhere. I'm not, you know, sugarcoating it. But mm. it just seemed like most people were just really happy and just happy to be the experience, wanted to win, but it wasn't at all costs. Mm. So, Henry, take me back to maybe how you even got here, right? So um, you have done something, you've won something, or you've, you've you know, you've bribed the TO to get a golden ticket. Um, how did you secure your ticket and what faction did you just decide to bring? 
Um, so I think I actually got one of the first golden tickets that ever became available because I got my golden ticket from my performance at CanCon uh, right back at the start of the year. Uh, so I went undefeated and got fourth based on tiebreakers, uh, which I was tremendously happy with. Um, I t- I'd taken Seraphon and an absolutely nasty list. Uh, I played several people that I play and we get along quite well and they said after the game it's just like that was one of the most oppressive games i've ever played like nothing against you but that list is is just unbearable and i'm like yeah no 100 that's why i brought it it's a, it's a really nasty list um and then after that i kind of i heard from clint that the golden tickets were up for grabs um and then he offered them to the um three players that came ahead of me on the tiebreakers uh but unfortunately because it was an entirely unfunded ticket uh they all turned it down uh which is completely understandable once you start looking into the nitty-gritty of how much it actually costs to go over to these events um i very thankfully was in a position that i could um go over uh so i very very graciously and kind of i believe like after i got the message i just ran around like air punching uh just dancing around like yeah yeah i'm the best i'm the greatest um but yeah so that was that was how i got the ticket um and then after that i was very sick of seraphon because before that i i basically only played seraphon at events and was keen for something else um and i picked up a silver Neth army from one of my friends who was selling it on the cheap um and then figured something else like silver Neth would be kind of exactly what i need need a very kind of high skill cap army um and so I decided that I was going to take Sylvaneth. Um, so I played around with a couple of random lists. Um, and unfortunately, this kind of bit me a little bit, but there is a local G-Dub championship store in Queensland at Mount Cravat, and they run tournaments semi-regularly. Uh, I think they run about two or three a year. Uh, and I always try and go to them because they're always, it's, a usual, it's kind of a very good group of guys that goes to those events. Um, but they also have a fairly heavy sports component. So they have a, a big split between battle, painting, and sports, and that all goes into their overall winner. Um, and that was kind of the other reason that I decided to take Sylvaneth was because I could build a very interactive list for my opponent. So um, unfortunately, that wasn't kind of what happened with how the scoring and the matrix worked for the World Championships. Um, so, but that was kind of my thought process behind it, bring a nice kind of, still a very strong list, um, but a more interactive list than kind of the more, some of the more oppressive lists can be. Cool. And I'm sure we'll, we'll get to maybe how it went and, you know, did it play out to the way you wanted it to play out? But Tom, what about yourself? How did you secure your ticket and, uh, what was the faction you ended up taking? <laughs> Yeah, so I had a slightly different route to um, Atlanta than Henry did. Um, Australia started this year, it was like a, tr- a first run of a league um, attached to the the golden tickets um, organised by some dudes down in Melbourne, I believe, um, which meant that the events that were handing out golden tickets as well as others um, gained points on like a national ladder, which is sort of aside from our normal national masters um, ranking. Um, and I got an email... Or sort of September around the same time as Sydney GT, and, like, and it was like, "Hey, you, you've qualified for this event down in Melbourne. It's this championship thing." Um, I was like, "Oh, cool! That, that, that's basically the Australia. Like, that must be the Australia version of basically what what, what the American event wound up being." I'll go down. Like, that'll be really fun. Um, 
and went down and wound up um, doing really well at that event and secured a ticket through that, um, you know, based off my podium placing, um, coming second to Joel, who also um, came to Atlanta. And, and um, whichever way it worked out, it meant that I got a golden ticket and was very lucky enough to have um, a lot of my trip um, funded, which is what was what made it possible for me to go to Atlanta. Otherwise, I wouldn't have wouldn't have un- uh, been able to scrap it with um, with life going on. So um, yeah, so that was uh, all. So I had the confirmation and the details to get to Atlanta um, all of eighteen days before the event. Um, yeah, so it was a bit of a quick turnaround between hey, you're you're able to go to Atlanta. Hey, like I already knew that I had the ticket, but in terms of like what did the funding look like and all that sort of stuff. Um, uh, so my ticket was booked 18 days before um, flying and, and, you know, work was very thankful. Like they were like, yeah, absolutely go. That's, that's great. You take some, some long service leave and all that sort of jazz. Um, and so I've been playing, like, like I've said, I've been playing Nurgle pretty much the entire time that I've been playing Age of Sigma. Um, I'd just on a whim, because I've been playing flies for a long time on a whim for an event in Sydney, um, decided to pull out the Glock in about, six weeks before we went to America um, and just ran like a lousy list. And I was like, oh, this is going to be terrible. Like, you know, and, and the, the event was, um, you know, was a, was a really great event, but I was like, I'm just going to see, do something different. So I was like, let's run this list. that has like all the big boys in it. So Maggoth Lords and stuff, um, as well as the Glockin. Um, let's like play without some of my usual crutches, like a, like Lord of Afflictions without, with a split horn helm. So I had that, that was out of the list and I played it and won that event. Then I was like, all right, well, this worked really well. I'll take it down to Melbourne, took it to Melbourne, um, did really well at that event. And I was like, well, there's no point. You know, there's some tweaks I'll make to this list, but it's, it's doing me really, really well. I'm able to sort of secure games. Uh, ironically, I was like, right, I'm able to secure games really quickly with this get with this list and lock them down and, and um, play that out. Did not translate to quick games uh, once we got to the world stage, though. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, so um, took Nurgle um, and was really happy with the list and how I, how I performed and how it performed over, over the course of the year. Uh, the event cool so we've got a seraphine so silver, silver f and we've got a nurgle uh going into the meta and i'm sure I'll, I'll hear very shortly about like your preparation but uh maybe a, a few call outs as well is that the uh first off you you've all mentioned that the tickets aren't funded by games workshop so if you plan to attend and you win the event either your tournament organizer is going to pay for your trip they might contribute a certain amount of money or it's at your expense. So uh, partially probably why some players did, weren't able to make it. They dropped out. Obviously, it is expensive, especially for us, right? It would have cost us, what, four, $5,000 Australian if we want, maybe more. Yeah. Easily, like, yeah. easily more. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, Tom, Tom mentioned the late notice and that was because, um, so the golden tickets really came up kind of January, which is where, Henry CanCon um, performance secured something really early. Uh, and the Oceanic Championships, which is unique to Australia, which is what Tom um, came second in, uh, that that ended, what, late October, early November. So realistically, um, the later your event is, um, the, the more you've got to scramble and I guess maybe the importance of funding, right? Telling someone in January they've got almost 12 months to save up to, to go to America uh, is very different to, hey, $5,000, go book some leave. You've got less than a month to do it. So um, something to consider if you are planning on applying um, for, for a golden ticket, uh, which Games Workshop is 
reopening both you can apply for a golden ticket or you can um try to get it again so uh sydney gt which is my tournament i have just resecured my golden ticket so uh 2024 i will still be offering a, a golden ticket um and from my side of the fence as a tournament organizer um, I had actually contributed about half of the, the price. So I, I think I, I put $1,500 um, towards the winner's ticket. So can't fully fund it. My tournaments are not that uh, profitable. I'm not ready to, to, to pay you five grand just yet, but um, help hopefully kind of help you get there. So, uh, but great event. Uh, other things I might want to call out before I find a little bit more about your preparation is uh, so when you get to the tournament, um, it was uh, obviously country orientated as well. Um, there were eight games at minimum. So everyone was going to play eight games, not five, eight, uh, and some as much as 12, which is what our ultimate winner, Nicholas and um, Tom Worsley done. That was 12. No, no, not even Tom. Tom only did 11 games. Um, uh, Nick had, Nick and uh, Ronya did the shadow round, which made it a 12 game for, for old Nicholas. Uh, 12 games in four days, including four uh, four games in one day is absolutely bonkers. It certainly <laughs> is and made for some very long days. Yeah. You're telling me <laughs> as, the and, TR, as, a, as a TO, I, I'm very aware. Yeah. So, so like, how do you practice and prepare for something like this? So you've got eight games. Um, they said that we would go, you didn't know the battle plans until this submission. And even then, I think, you know, you, you kind of knew you were going to play mostly all of them, which for some GTs, they don't pick all the missions. And there's a, a select five to seven that they always run. So there was going to be some questionable battle plans coming in and probably none more questionable as the one that happened uh, in the sh in the, the, the knockout final between Nick and, um, and Ronya. That was definitely an interesting battle plan to be picked. But how do you prepare for this marathon event, Henry? Um, so I've, like, previously I've, played War Machine to, to quite a high level. Um, and so I kind of have a bit of a system down for how I like to improve. Um, I don't know if this works for, for everyone. Um, but what I did was I kind of, I locked in my list fairly early, kind of just in me. List sub wasn't that early um, and we didn't get a player's pack until quite late. Um, but I kind of decided that this was the list that I was going to take. Um, I painted it quite well. I was relatively practiced with it. So that's when I kind of switched into, yeah, let's let's get this as best as possible. Um, so what I do is I focus on just the little things. So like my list was Sylvaneth. Um, I had Dreitcher. Over the course of, I went to a two-day tournament, I believe it was a GoldCon uh, up here in Queensland. My whole focus for that tournament was just Dreitcher's positioning. Um, so I ended up going 3-2 uh, at that event. I you I didn't have much of a game into KO and got two K the, the two KO players on the second day. Um, but my whole focus for that event was just focusing on Dreicher. And she always had to be in the right position. She always had to be shooting the right thing. She always had to be striking and fading at the correct times and kind of working on that. And then at the end of that weekend, I kind of went, cool, okay, that's her sorted. Switch to the next thing. So the next one is the archer of positioning, or it's the Kernoff hunters, or it's the strike and fading, or it's focusing on something else. 
but it's just it's purely focusing on one small thing until that becomes kind of a gut feeling a, a kind of an unconscious decision uh, I'm, a, I'm a big believer when it comes to to these type these games that 99% of the time if you've got kind of a gut feeling to do something there's a reason you're not 100% sure of it you might they might have a rule that you've forgotten about but getting it to that unconflict unconscious that reflexive like oh yeah I can deal with that I can I can this unit can kill that unit you don't need to sit there and crunch all the numbers you just kind of know um, and so working on the little parts of the list to get to that stage that's how I kind of work on my own list and work to get better so so you've had deliberate practice you've you understand what what things can and can't kind of do you have done absolute deliberate practice so it's muscle memory so when you get to a bigger tournament you you don't have to worry about you know getting your measurements out and like really super like trying to worry about things you are very much just in the flow of the game you've got enough muscle memory to just get into it and do the thing yeah, I love yeah. that. I love yeah. that. One, one of the big, like one of the perfect examples of it was, um, I often use Dreiter as a strike and fade piece. So she'd charge out and then fade back after fighting, um, fading, putting her and setting her up in a position where I am fully cover my main bunker with her um, unleash health. Towards the start, it was basically I get out all my six inch gauges and measure it out. Yep, no, I've got this all covered. Towards the end. I could just eyeball and go, yep, this is how I need to position my units here, here, and here. This is the size of her gap. This is how far six inches is. And because you've been doing it so long and so often, it becomes that unconscious, that reflex to go, cool, she strikes and fades to there. And then I'm covered. I don't have to kind of consciously think. I can be focused on what's my next battle tactic? What's their next battle tactic? Where are they going to go? What are they going to do? I love that. Tom, what about yourself? A uh, bit of a different process to, to Henry um, and probably not one that I would endorse for anybody who's looking to travel 24 hours for uh, a tournament, um, which is that uh, due to the nature of my job, and I, I work in education in the time of year that it was, um, very much the let the lead into um, sort of our crunch time as far as getting seniors ready for their final exams and all that sort of jazz and I you know, lead a faculty and, um, and all that, which means that I have virtually zero spare time um, sort of in the final quarter of the year. So um, my preparation was play events that I could. So I played Sydney GT and I was like, cool, I did well in that. A uh, week later, I had a, um, a one-dayer, uh, which was great, and played just tested out Seraphon, for the, like played my first three games of Seraphon ever at that and was like, awesome. Uh, won't be taking them to the Worlds. Um, and then um, a few weeks after that was... The Sydney event, a week after that was the uh, Melbourne event. And then three weeks after that, I was in um, Atlanta. And as bad as it is to say, that was all my game experience, all my game practice in the two months leading up to um, Worlds. San uh, sorry, with one exception, which was a very intense um, and very enjoyable game with Henry um, uh, using uh, whatever we could for terrain the night before. Uh, in a bit of what we, what we now affectionately call and should be adopted wherever it can be, Street Hammer um but uh yeah just the nature of it was i, I felt very across my lists and I, and i you know fortunately i get to play against a lot of different stuff when i do play so um decisions as far as what went into lists i was pretty confident with um you know the glockian is such an amazing control piece and that's what i started playing the game with my very first list um was play, play glockian um quote tom guan um and um 
so so the mechanics were, were fine. I was fine with it. And fortunately, it's a it's a reactive list a lot of the time. So it's about you know not not giving anything away and then being ready to react and and um, and uh, negate your opponent's plans at the right times. Uh, which was was really good for that sort of which was really good for that sort of prep space was and, and analyzing opponents matchups. So, yeah, it's a melee list. This is sort of what I'm going into. If it's a sort of magic control list, um, I didn't get that one quite as right as I wish I had. Um, and then if it's a shooting list, you know, this is sort of what I'm going into. So um, a, a lot of mine was more chatting with guys like Mitch and Joel um, and uh, ahead of the uh, the event, the two of the, the other guys that came with us and um, sort of. You know, got adopting the, our old WTC prep for more machine days, which is you know figure out who's in your pool and do a little bit of a grid matrix of like, ah, oh, this is roughly what that matchup should be like, and these might be the sorts of things that I need to do. Um, so I felt like well prepared, but but not but not particularly on the tabletop itself. That was more it was more academic than that. But you you've had a, a long background with Nurgle as well, right? You've dabbled yeah. in slaves, you've dabbled in Seraphon, but you've mostly been a Nurgle player since your time. So it, again, probably goes back to the muscle memory that Henry was talking about, where it's just adapting to the meta, finding something. And you're right, traveling across the world, something like flies, which is something you've done incredibly well with, um, transporting some models, bringing in Archeon can be very difficult. There are certain models where they just don't, they don't fly very well. So adapting a list that can, can travel across the world can be equally as important. Yeah, that was a determining factor for me. Um, I would have loved to have taken flies, but um, with the way like flies are impossible to store in foam, like and I, I didn't have the time or the money to get um, the bat. Like I've got a battle foam bag, and they sell cutouts with like some flies on on um on foam slots, but wasn't going to be practical. Um, and either way, that would have had to have been stowed. Um, so I travel with a magnetic case, and the the parameters of what I could take, I couldn't possibly have fit a, a functional list. Um, into that if it was fly heavy so fortunately glockkin list had one like sort of big shelf and then two very little shelves of stuff so it um it all fit like sort of tessellated just perfectly um but you're, you're completely right and that was i was a little bit sad that i couldn't take flies because that would have been fun i had a similar experience with like i built my sylvaneth list to fit in a case like mm. I, tr I transported trees across the world um they were very much tetris in but the core like one of the the first kind of tenants that i put together when kind of figuring out what i'd take was um does it fit in a single case or do i have to kind of get multiple cases and my wife traveled with me and was i going to kind of repossess her carry-on luggage as well to take more models or not so that would have been clever i should yep. take my spouse next time and she's gonna be really happy when i say that you're gonna come so that i can use you for carry-on yep <laughs> I think it's a fair compromise, but you, it's interesting, right? Because um, I am thinking about my LVO list that I'm practicing for LVO, and I've had to literally put two of my Mega Gargans upside down. So I've got two mm. Spider-Man Mega Gargans and two on the base because uh, I do not want to put it in carrier uh, in like checked luggage. You always see it breaks, um, and you you want to be in control, and like it is, it'll determine like. What you can and can't take and faction terrain silver death that's challenging as well um so something to consider uh, especially if you're traveling abroad so you've talked to me a little bit about your preparation and um and you know some practice and, and the events and things like that 
but what were you actually expecting at the the world championship right you know you've got high caliber players you've got uh certain armies that were doing really well in the meta did you think the likes of corn and obr and zombie spam and you know insert the the top lists and the top armies of the day but what was your, what were you actually expecting going in or did you think there was going to be a bunch of crazy people with off meta lists trying to like catch you out with some craziness with i don't know something um henry is anything that you you were expecting um i i kind of expected both um like there's strong lists there's strong armies at whatever time that you're playing um they will be there they're strong for a reason these are some of the best players in the world they will be playing the best armies that they can play um but also there i was 100 percent expecting there to be a few absolutely left field like no one's ever seen this list before um because if any player can get them to work it would be a player that has gone to there so um so that's what i kind of expected from the players um for the event itself like i expected it to be an absolutely top quality event like gdub is i think is officially now the largest in one of the largest industries in the uk um i think they recently out like their profits were greater than the entire uk fishing industry yeah. i believe it was recently so like they've got the money they've got the backing they know that if they do this well it can really be like the big big event uh for all warhammer players so i expected them to really be putting their best foot forward and to like really be kind of flexing with what they are capable of and parts of the tournament a hundred percent that was true uh, parts of the tournament I was absolutely blown away uh, no other kind of people or companies or anything like that would even come close to what they put forward so you, you want to give me some examples of maybe some things that kind of caught you know caught you by surprise pleasantly or um so like the the fact that they had three different um streaming kind of groups um they had a French like a French channel a Spanish channel and an English channel as well like that's that's just crazy like even massive events you usually get a streamer um, not you don't get three in three different languages um, that's that's absolutely insane uh, and it speaks a lot to kind of how they know the market like they must have huge like I know the French are fantastic war gamers um, but that, to have Spanish as well like there's a huge portion of the world is Spanish speaking so they're definitely looking to tap into that market more um, the fact that they they had all the exclusive merch at the store and they they had all of the kind of the halls where we were themed really well um that's something that i know a lot of other tournaments struggle with i know i've i've especially struggled with that running tournaments um but to get the right atmosphere that it's not just hey we're pushing models around in a random convention hall but it's no no, no this is a premier event that you're at um like we got a couple of photos in front of the the life-size terminator statue um and for anyone who hasn't played 40k it's like two meters three meters tall um, like when, when we say life size, we're tiny compared to it. Um, but just the sense of scale, um, and the sense of organization, like I've run big events, you've run big events as well, coach. Often it's just you or maybe one or two other people helping you behind the scenes. Um, they had teams of people hmm. like you were, there was, I think five AOS judges. Um, you um yeah, myself, Matt, Gareth, Tom, um, James, James yeah i think that was yeah. that was all of us from yeah it's, so we, we had five and we had people who were active judging we had people watching um tables especially stream games um and one of the things that we got told which i'm actually really excited about was we got told to actively judge so 
if we walked past a table and we saw something or we, we suspected something, we had the power to interrupt the game and um, judge accordingly. We didn't have to just sit there and wait for someone to call us over, which um, people did. People did call us over. And a lot of the time there's a lot of like gray and a lot of like, you know, how's the interaction work? But um, for the vast majority, like we could just walk around and if we saw someone roll a dice and it was the wrong, they were just in the moment, like we could interrupt, but we didn't have yeah. to very often. Yeah, yeah, I got a question at one point. I had a couple of dead models off to the side, and um, I think it was Tom came, was walking past, and he's like, those guys are out of coherency. And it's like, no, no, they're, they're dead. And he's like, okay, cool. But yeah. that's something that, like, you don't have at most events. So, But just having the, kind of the, the teams and the, the amount of people helping out was amazing. So, like, mm -hmm. it's, it's really it, – it pushed it up into the next level type of event. So. Oh, awesome. And Tom, what yourself, uh, you know, what were you, what were you expecting? And, you know, whether it's the, the people and the armies, whether it is the actual event itself or the experience, like what were you expecting flying halfway around the world for a tournament? Uh, yeah, I, I, I had no idea what to expect, to be perfectly honest. I, I was um, going in with the mantra of, like, don't lose all your games. Um, and as far as the quality of play, I was expecting, and, and rightly so, like, it was gonna be tough every game was like the final game of the tournament if you're on the top table um so that that was what i was expecting list wise i wouldn't you know we've got um media that covers events um each week and you know you can kind of keep tabs of like roughly who's playing what so i was like you know there were some things that i was anticipating like you know i was, I was expecting a lot of obr um pro probably wasn't expecting as much seraphon as as we end up being there, but awesome. And I learned a lot about Seraphon over the weekend. Um, certainly wasn't expecting majority, like, you know, one of the largest sh shared factions to be Skaven. Um, that caught me out by surprise. And I was like, awesome. And got to play against one of these really cool Skaven lists in the first round. And it was it was a cool game. Like, you know, I've got a buddy who plays them, um, you know, when I do get casual games in. Um, you know, um, who plays them? I'm such a big fan of that faction, but you don't get to play them a lot at events. So that was really cool. Yeah, good call. So there, there was every faction represented, except there was no Daughters of Cain, no Cities of Sigma, because it was old book. You couldn't use new cities. Um, technically, Fire Slayers, but one of the uh, Georgia Warband um, stepped up, Kevin stepped up as a ringer and he actually played the full tournament so he was top fire slayer and uh brought fire slayers to the fold no uh no slanesh which was interesting yeah. to me i thought there'd be at least one pretenders list and uh yeah skaven was the second highest chaos faction other than corn which was um very surprising. We saw Tom Morsley go to the semi-finals. Uh, Richie had the same list. There was six Skaven lists out of ninety, which is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, and um, who'd have thought? Like, was was all I, was my only reaction? Like, who'd have thought that you'd see that much Skaven? Um, which was awesome. That um, was crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but the the event was like Henry said was was immaculately presented. Um, the judges that were brought over were, were great, like, you know, working with, with a number of them on, on a few different game scenarios, you know, couldn't have asked for better people who were, you know, looking over those, those sort of situations. Um, you know, it's good to have Matt there who, you know, if you need have a rules question, the guy who writes the rules for the game is probably the right person to have at an event. Um, but, um, yeah, every, everything about the event was, was really, really 
excellently presented, like at a professional level. Um, you know, we go to CanCon down in Canberra every year. I've had a, my hand at running um, War Machine for CanCon before, and like yeah, it's a big event. Um, but as far as like polish, that's um, that this was something that was that was a really cool tip top level that I've never necessarily um, like uh, interacted with before. And so I like gold standard. From, from there on out and just saying Sydney GT, um, some of these are uh, Terminator sat size statues and the gauntlet's been thrown. Well, oh, geez, don't, 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 step, <laughs> don't threaten me with a good time. Do not threaten me with something going bigger and better. Um, I was going to ask you a question. Now you've thrown me off. Yeah, I was going to smart ass and throwing you off. Sorry, mate. Oh, no, no, no. You you, you mentioned Matt. Uh, Matt Rose, yeah. who you may or may not know from Metal Watch. Um, he was uh, one of the head writers, or he is uh, one of the, the people in charge of Age of Sigma without giving too much away. But more importantly, he was there actually not only contributing to the to the tournament staff, but also talking to players like you, getting feedback, asking about, you know, good interactions, bad interactions, units that might need to get a little boost and units that he thinks, and just getting a lot of verbatim from the players, which I thought was really interesting and unique to get the somebody come from Games Workshop obtaining real-time feedback other than just looking at stats and what might be happening in Games Workshop head queue. So uh, more community kind of interaction and listening and, and conversations, the better. The better help the game's going to be in. So, you know, kudos to Matt and and everyone who travelled over from Nottingham to, 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 to hear us. And I'm sure a lot of people gave him advice maybe some bum steer advice like oh obr's okay like don't don't, yeah. don't touch them no, anymore myriad. what what even you know um <laughs> no and, and i was i was actually really for, like really thankful i got to be one of those people like and i had a pretty robust conversation with him about some of the, you know my thoughts on you know where things are at and and things that could be not not not, not like here's my wish list of things you need to change but just like questioning in terms of um you know where like you know what sort of ways are you thinking about the game because we're seeing points drop so you because the game gets bigger as a result is that an intentional um you know how are you rein that in because it does mean games go longer the, the battlefield gets smaller um that sort of thing um it was really good to interact with him on that level he was a very very affable um wonderful person to talk to on that front yeah he, great guy great guy um what about the previews? There's um, something that maybe people aren't aware of is that Games Workshop do the preview, the model preview, uh, before it actually happens online. So if people have watched it on on Twitch or they've seen the Warhammer community blog kind of coming out with, you know, here's the cool model, here's the new thing. Um, we at the events actually get to see it uh, about an hour or so before it goes live. Um, did either of you get to attend the uh, the preview, and what was it like for you experiencing in real time? If you did, um, unfortunately, we kind of had other oh. plans, so I don't think any of us actually attended the preview. I, unfortunately, as well, one of the kind of un, one of the kind of sad things about the event was there was a bit of a, a stomach bug going around. Um, so I think was that the. There was, yeah, most of the Australians that went over got hit at one point, um, and yeah. a few of us were hit on that night, unfortunately. So, yeah, un unfortunately, I, I don't think I, any of us attended it. Yeah, uh, I, was, well, I was ticking off a bucket list going to the NBA that night, so uh, that, I decided to get sick the night after, but yeah. Was, was the previews on Friday or the Wednesday? Because we did basketball on the Wednesday, the Knicks game, the Hawks and I went Knicks. to two games. 
yeah, you went to the Friday game as well. Was the must oh, the, have happened around the same time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the same night because we got out of the game and and Mitch and Joel, who sorry Christian and Joel, who were with us, both huge Beck players from way back when. We got out of the game and our phones went off with like people like, "Have you seen Osheron?" And we're like, and they were just like, you know, it was a twenty minute walk back to the um the hotel and we we're getting some pretty big fanboy reactions out of that. So the hype was real. We just weren't there for the hype. But it is a fantastic thing that they do to kind of like yeah, really establish it as kind of a flagship premiere. Like, this is the best event you're going to go to. Here's some exclusive stuff that you will see later, but you guys get to know first. So that's just another one of the kind of the bonuses of going there. Speaking of the, the basketball, what, mm. what did you do outside of the competition in Atlanta? Did you guys get to eat anywhere? Is anything like... I assume you weren't just in the hotel doing Warhammer 24-7. Henry? Um, so we went to the aquarium on kind of the first day. We figured after like almost a full solid 24 hours of traveling, um, going and just kind of zoning out in front of kind of the fish and the ocean exhibits uh, would be a good good idea. Um, and it was 100% absolutely fantastic. I would, I would highly recommend anyone, if you've got a day to kill in Georgia, um, in Atlanta, go to the aquarium uh like we saw whale sharks uh beluga whales dolphins uh manta rays it was it was absolutely awesome um and then then we kind of switched into okay we're here for we're here for warhammer let's play warhammer um so we ended up going out most nights with uh, with a lot of the other australian aos players mm. um like i said i was over there with my wife so we went off and kind of took her shopping as well that was part of she comes over and helps me, supports me, brings me drinks throughout the tournament, but I owe her a day of shopping. Um, and then on the last day, we did the Coke Museum as well. With uh, Tom was there with us as well uh, while we were waiting for kind of our flights to leave. Um, but it was it was really interesting as well. And we both kind of definitely gone on a bit of a sugar high towards the end where they let you taste all the different um, samples from around the world. So, yeah. How, how's their Coke compared to ours? Oh, I think it was the, was it Taiwan's or Thailand's? Both. Both. Thailand's Fanta. Yeah. Taiwan's Sprite. Awesome. Yeah. And then there was one, I think it was, was it Morocco's Citrus? There was one that we just, we all tasted and we're just like, no, nope, we're never going there. Some, some, something completely random, but you now know if you, if you go to Thailand, their Fanta is delicious. If you go yeah. to... I think it was was it India or I I couldn't tell you it was some plum flavored thing with a yeah. very bad aftertaste. Yeah, it tasted like cough syrup. Um, yeah, yeah. All right, what, what yourself, Tom? Anything you got outside of uh, of uh, playing Warhammer? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't going to go all the way across the world and not you know do some stuff in the, the city that we were we were in. So um, first day, similar thoughts to Henry. Um, we went to the aquarium, which was, like you said, incredible. It's, it's a world. It's it's apparently like one of the best in the entire world, um, and that was that was really really cool. Um, the second day, I we went out for a, an authentic Georgian barbecue lunch that day, so which was great. You know, got got a I got a heap of brisket, which made me a happy boy. Um, and then uh, the second day, um, I took myself to the Civil Rights Museum, um, which was. Something that I try and make sure I do is always go and if I'm in a city, always learn some local history. And um, yeah, it seemed like a pretty important part of um, Atlanta's history. 
Um, but outside of that, and then we did the Coke Museum, which was sort of on the tail end of me being the sickest I've ever been in my life. I think I lost like six kilos while I was away. Um, it was it was savage. So a bit of soft drink was um, was good for my the old tum before I got onto a, a plane. Um, but um, outside of that, we um, we went to a couple of NBA games, which was a big that was a big thing for me. I'm a huge sports fan, huge NBA fan. Um, unfortunately, didn't get to see my team, um, and I'm a little bit jealous of Mitch and Christian, who did then power on to Boston and got to see a, a Celtics game. Um, but we got to see a, a couple of, you know, and, and some really cool players, like you know, some players of the generation, um, at, you know, in fine form. So that was that was pretty special for me. Um, and yeah, outside of that, um, just dinners and pubs and and all those sorts of things. Yeah, some of the highlights I had was uh, I went out for barbecue. There's a, a mm. credible place called Fox Bros, which um, uh, my my first day got completely messed up. So the story is I landed in Atlanta just before midnight. Mm. Turns out my hotel had the wrong booking and I couldn't get into my room until 4 a.m. So my whole plan for the day before got completely ruined because I slept from 4 a.m. to 4 p.m., quickly went out and got barbecue, came back, went to bed. Uh, the following day was setting up the whole tournament, so I got to set up the Space Marine, set up all the tables, set up the grand narrative, obviously with other people helping, but, like, just the old setup. Um, so you asked me, like, what was I expecting? I was expecting to do a couple of gym sessions, and I did zero <laughs> because I was just eight till six in the morning till almost midnight every day. Um, yeah. What else did I do? Went out to a really cool tiki bar with with a whole bunch of people from Games Workshop. Uh, the NBA basically getting courtside seats on the NBA, which was incredible, with um, Noah Singh, uh, Matt from GW, as well as um, Tom Meggins. So that was a really cool experience. The only um, I've been to the been to the baseball. I've been to the uh, NFL. I hadn't been to the NBA yet, so it was nice to kind of tick that one off um, for myself. And then, yeah, just I think just kept it kept it cruisy with most of you all, just hanging out and chatting. And the days were long; they were really long. And it's not because they were playing Warhammer. Everyone, a lot of people, not everyone, a lot of people were staying at the hotel. So people just hung around and got dinner and got drinks and super social and super casual and um, just people doing pickup games even after the event was over. Like people were just playing games and just hanging out and. Um, yeah, it was just really cool social uh, interaction. Yeah, yeah, it was it was All good. Right. The, the vibe was pretty good, and the hotel being where the, the actual convention was was super convenient for us. What about the actual tournament? Any highlights from the games that you played, or whether it was a faction, whether it was a moment, whether it was uh, something that you were losing and you swung back, like uh, you know. Henry, anything that you'd you'd add to your highlights? Uh, I like I really enjoyed all my games. Um, like I, I really focused on making sure that both players had an enjoyable experience because I know how bad it can be if you don't. Um, it did take a little while for some of the players to warm up to my particular brand of humor. I've got a very dry and sarcastic humor. Mostly, most of my jokes were around insulting Dreitcher. Um, I found that. The more I insult her and belittle her, the better she performs. Um, it's the complete opposite for the Kernel Hunters. They need all the love and support they can get. Uh, but once they did warm up to me, we had we had great games. Um, but like two of the game, one of the games I played against Everest, the French player, um, like we had an amazing game. We ended that game in a draw. Um, 
And at the end as well, like after we packed up and we like had a chat and we were just sitting there absolutely exhausted. Uh, when I was dropping my models back up to the room, my wife who watched most of that game, she said like, it was like watching both of you were playing a mirror. You both kind of, you did the same things. You were thinking the same thing. You could see kind of the cogs both working for us at the same time. And one of us would have kind of like, a, oh, I'll do this. But the other one would only be half a second behind them. Um, so she said that was a fantastic game to watch. And that was an amazing game to play. Um, and then another player, uh, Ricky, who I actually, um, due to the way that the tournament was structured, I actually got to play him twice. Is that uh, gets Ricky? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, once in the pool play and then again in the, the world uh, bracket. Um, our second game, because we'd kind of already built that bit of a, a repertoire with each other, uh, we had a great time. Um, and one of the judges, James, came over and he was like looking all concerned. And we were just like hanging out and just, just having a great game. He's like, are you guys going okay? Like what's happening here? And we're like, no, no, no. Like we're, ha we're having a great time. Like, well, what's the issue? And it's like, you've been playing for four and a half hours. You need to start wrapping this up. And we're like, oh. We, we hadn't even realized like that we'd gone on for so long. We were just, we were just having an amazing game. Um, and that one also ended in a, in a tie due to it. Absolutely. Just me pulling it out from behind in a, in a massive play that had, I think it had like a 2% chance to work or something we ended up figuring out at the end. So, um, but just the games, they were the highlights of the tournament and just the quality of player that I played against, um, Everyone was a great player, like you expected everyone to be a, a good top-level player. But just with how they approached the game, everyone wanted a clean, precise, open game where you're not trying you're not trying to get the little, oh, gotcha, you forgot to do that, or oh, you didn't do that. Or It was just a good, solid example of kind of what top-level players can do. And I learned so much across the tournament. So I haven't actually played a game of AOS since then. Um, I played... Lord of the Rings, 40k, and Mordheim. Even that's that's kind of dating me a bit, um, but I'm keen to play another game of AOS now with that experience to see how my perspectives of the game have changed. Who's your Mordheim gang? Uh, I'm currently playing Sisters of Sigma. So you and me, brother. You and me. Done that before, so keen to get them on the table. Yeah, I've I've got all of them, including is it Bertha, the special yeah, hero? I yeah. lo love love the sisters of. I just wish I was my one wish for Cities of Sigma. I'm like, give me back my sisters of Sigma, my my nuns. Uh, yeah. Like they, I love the sculpts so much. Yeah, no, they are, they are so nice. I've unfortunately got 3D printed ones. Um, I saw a, a, a new in box set come up for about 500 bucks. I'm like. I can't really justify almost 100 bucks a model for old uh, sculpts. Mine all the originals, so yeah, I wouldn't pay. Oh, I, I I would I wouldn't pay five hundred bucks either, to be honest. But I was lucky enough to keep my old uh, humans as well as my witch hunters, as well as like I've got like all the old flagellants and all the witch mm -hmm. hunters. And actually, I think I I think I am in one of my boxes. I have the Carnival of Chaos. Um, the best little, one. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. The the wagon. The the no. Yeah, the, wagon. the play yeah. card. Yeah. Pretty yeah, sure I've got that as well. Band. Yeah, I'm very jealous of that. I when 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 do you go to work and leave your house unattended? So. <laughs> rarely, rarely. Before before I before I go to Tom, I, I do want to call out and I want to find out for you. You can't just tell me I learnt so much and then uh, move along. What was the thing you learnt the most? Like if you were kind of like pass it on to the world. Well, one like if I had to kind of boil it down to just kind of one tip, it's kind of 
keep in mind of what your objective is in the overall game, but also in each turn. Um, so, and that is very much kind of assess what you need to do to have a to win the game, which is majority of the time is score max points every turn, um, and set yourself up to deny your opponent. But the primary thing is the easiest way to win is to score max points every turn, because then if your opponent makes one mistake or has one unlucky dice roll, they don't score max points and then you win. Um, so it's very much keeping in mind with what you actually need to do and don't overextend, don't get greedy, score your points, preserve your resources and that's it. Um, in one of my games against, um, I played Matt from Wales with his Nighthorn um, and I, I have a very bad game into Nighthorn. I have a lot of sides. Their rend is very pointless. Um, and so I had to, because of just a kind of a bad matchup, I had to go for a more risky play quite early in the game. Unfortunately, that risky play got me the attrition lead, but it also meant that I failed a battle tactic. Um, now, at the time, I made the call kind of internally that if I can get the attrition lead, it's worth it to fail that battle tactic. Um, because if I didn't wipe the unit that I was charging into, I would have achieved the battle tactic. That was the only battle tactic that I dropped over the entire weekend, which I'm, I'm very happy with how I, how I achieved that. Um, but it often meant that sometimes I didn't have the greatest battle tactics available, so I had to not always score the max on objectives. So quite often around the mid-game, uh, I dropped a point or two behind my opponent, and then they could then just kind of play solidly for the rest of the game. They didn't have to go for those risky long-shot plays. So it's very much kind of taking away from that, that the primary way you win games is you score points. So scoring points is your top priority, um, even if it might be a better attrition play or it might be a better position in late game. Keeping that pressure on your opponents that you have to play a perfect turn to keep up is very much kind of a, a big thing that I'm taking or that I'll be taking into future games. Awesome. And for the people who are listening, and uh, I want you to underline bullet point, use a highlighter. At no point did Henry say kill the thing. It's about scoring points. It's about like, do not build your lists about just killing. Sure, you've got to do some killing, but it's about scoring one, two more, your battle tactics, what your battle tactic sequence is, reducing the risk in order to score these things. These are important folks, not just how do I kill my opponent and uh, remove their toys by, by battle round three. So just mental note. Tom, what yourself? Uh, highlights um, from games. Uh, I had some of the best games of Warhammer I've ever played in my life, as far as like the interactions were concerned. Um, I played pretty well over the course of the, the event um, and finished pretty well. But um, but I there <clears throat> there are a few people like that I like would like absolutely love to shout out, which um, was my opponents, um, Frank, um, Fred, um, Christoph, and Tom. Um, uh, who just gave me some of the most positive um, interactions that, like, you know, and, and um, qualities of game that I've ever had in my life, um, from a, both from a uh, collaborative standpoint, um, in terms of like it, those games were very much like a, all right, like you say you want to achieve this, like we're going to be working together to achieve this sort of games, um, uh, you know, but also just, you know, in in hindsight, I probably should have done a few more practice games heading towards the worlds. Um, and so there were a couple of matchups where 
I didn't quite understand absolutely, or I didn't have you know every rule committed to memory. And Seraphon's a really good example of that. So um, Frank, who was my um, round two opponent, um, just like you know, was just the epitome of patience with me. Just being like, oh, how does like you know, because also French to English, there was you know, he's, not that he couldn't speak English extremely well, but um, but um, I was you know caught off unawares by a couple of rules, and not because it was like got tricking me. I'm like, oh, how does that work? Um, so like just constantly being like, oh, how does that work sort of thing? Um, uh, and him just being, having the patience of an absolute saint and running me through everything like really conscientiously and really, um, amicably and, 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 and all that sort of stuff. And he, and you know, he beat pants off me. Um, but it was just such a, like a, such a really, really wonderful sort of game. And, um, I had that sort of that consistency of like, let's work together. Let's have a chill game, um, from, from those, um, you know, as far as things that I learned along the way, um, I definitely um, learned not to fight a mortis guard. I think that is um, <laughs> just don't ever. They're, they're not worth it. Um, uh, so I had a I had one game where, where they just broke. Like yeah, that's just a unit that breaks my entire faction's back. Um, and uh, but but um, it was it was a really good example of like you know just don't. Yeah, it, I was and I was ahead in the game and just got a little bit cute with like, yeah, this is my this is my one opportunity to really go in and capitalize on that unit. I didn't capitalize on that unit at all, um, and sort of got a little bit of a tunnel vision for them rather than focusing on on the scenario, focusing on on you know that path to victory, which I could have much better secured than I did. Um, yeah, and that and um, time management, uh, as far as like just having an awareness of where games are up to, um, I think um me personally i'll probably be taking a clock with me to every event that i go to from now on um because unfortunately i had quite a few games go to round time having to do my least favorite thing in the world which is trying to talk out an entire game um through the last couple of turns um and the interactions that came off that weren't weren't the best so like i won't go into that any deeper than that but it was just like a unfortunately because it can become a, a little bit of a situation of who who can play the, plead their case with a stronger personality scenario rather than um than in anything else and i didn't care about like winning or losing the game but it just it creates a moment where like we go from having really chill lovely easy going game to oh no well now we need to figure out who wins and because that's happening it matters um and you know things can turn very quickly as far as the way that interaction goes so um that was a big learning for me is that i like a i'm gonna be playing lists like I, I took a list that was designed to grind for five turns um and i'm probably gonna shy away from that for the next little while um but also that that i that i think for me personally um even if an event wants me to or not i'll be using a clock at least for my side of the table um because that was that was a bit disappointing all right so the perfect segue literally where i was going next yes. My segue is, um, was there things that you would like to see different in the next year? Um, mm -hmm. So a couple of probably things that were different to traditional GTs that people would go to. Uh, it was eight rounds. So you played five games, uh, two games on day one, three games on day two. Then uh, there was a top two from each of the, the groups that went on to play a couple of other games. Um, the games went for four hours essentially so there was three hours of game time except for day one where there was four hours um there was a lunch break or there was a break of an hour in between every game um now tom's alluding to something that 
was contentious, and that is uh, no chess clocks were, I don't want to say the word allowed, because they were allowed. Um, TOs were not going to tell you to take away your tabletop uh, accessory or uh, ornament, but we were not enforcing, nor if someone's time ran out as a chess clock, um, we would not force hard dice down. So there was a really interesting, to Tom's point, it got to three hour mark or even three and a half hours. Um, because these games are very high level, there's a lot on stake. There's a lot of, like Henry talked about, a very chess kind of you go, I go, very, you know, strategic interactions. Um, some of these games took a while. And for some of the games, like in on day four and day, no, day three, day three and day four, I think I counted one game went for five hours when, you know, it was their last game. Um, what else was different? Uh, so that was that kind of thing. Uh, I think that was kind of it, right? Like, like what, what would you, I was, I was just trying to think of like what was different versus traditional GT. So I guess maybe the question here is what would you do different, whether it was rules, formats, restrictions, tabletop accessories. Tom, you're, you're in flow. I'll let you continue and then I'll pass it to Henry. Yeah, no worries, man. Um, look, there's two things. And one for me is a preference thing and the other one is a structural thing, which I'll talk about um, first, which is the, the, the timing and time management of rounds. Um, so days were incredibly long, and um, uh, even even day one, which was only two games, that you know, um, I, I absolutely like you know appreciate the tos, and, and you guys did a, a fabulous job of, of um, managing the event. And and calls wise, like you know, there's no contention around calls that were made by by tos, but the intention was very clearly laid out. You know, we're not using clocks, we're not putting a time around timer up visibly for you guys, um, because G Dubs, you know in their infinite wisdom had decided that game you know they, this is how long you got for a game and games shouldn't should be able to resolve themselves to completion um so you're not using a clock because that might prevent that um that i i like in a in a bit of um criticism of that philosophy i think that that worked completely against their intention um and the amount of games where judges were coming around saying no game stopping and talk it out um rather than the the idea of like if a clock has an enforceable rule that all the players pack could have had a clause around if a game is not is still is continuing at the point where the round timer is finished, you, this is how you resolve the game. You know, like finish the scoring at the end of that round. You either do or you don't score grand strategies. That sort of conversation, um, really, like that needs to be clear for that level of play. Um, so that was that was really uh, and like I said, like um, you know, and and nothing to nothing on the tos, but you know, the idea was that the game should resolve and. Uh, I, I wouldn't cons constitute a scenario where a TO did come over, at, like, you know, in what, I had one game where TO did come over and was like, oh, no, we actually need to wrap this up and you need to talk it out. Um, that, that to me, is completely antithetical to the process they were trying to, to um, have there. Um, and I think that, that that came from a structural problem, which was that day one was a four-hour game, um, and then day three, two, three, four were three-hour games. And what that meant was that, like I know for me personally, that I became acclimatized to a four-hour game very quickly. Like I was, I was like, okay, like roughly, like you know, I've played, um, in, you know, um, in in a week or so. Um, uh, this is the pace of games. They're telling us when we should be up to in rounds. Um, you know, as far as the game's progressing. Okay, I'm kind of, like my brain started of getting into that rhythm. Uh, means that the social interactions that I'm able to able to engage at the table are able to happen at a certain pace. So this is the sort of tempo, uh, tempo and, and the, the timber that we're able to work, like sort of to work through. Um, and then day two rolls around and that went out the window, like in game one. 
Um, and that was really hard to then rain, like pull back from as far as like, how do I then manage my time, um, you know, w without resorting to a clock and, and without having an actual like, you know, countdown on the wall, for example, would have just been that thing that helps. But I think that that was a really, um, in my opinion, like a really weird way to approach it was like, it, it, even just like day one could have been two games that were three hours. Um, but the, the differences in round lengths was a really, um, really weird thing to work around as a player. Um, the other, the other side of it, which um, you know, I, and I'm not too concerned with a with a with a ladder, um, or like a, or a final final table um, in in all senses, um, but was just the scoring metric being a strength of schedule system rather than a like you know Age of Sigma compared to like and Henry and I both have known each other for quite a while playing War Machine, which was which was a strength of schedule system, and the reason why it was a strength of schedule system is that the scoring system for it was not granular enough to um, determine tie breaks based on game outcome. Um, like it was sort of like a, it was a weird counting. Like you'd have to get into weird counting, which was just annoying to do. There was three eight, conditions as well. So yeah, like it just absolutely it didn't work. It didn't work at all. Whereas Age of Sigma, um, and, and this is a total credit. And one of the things I love about Age of Sigma, which is the GHB and the, the, the scenario system in terms of a granularity between objective points, tactics and grand strategies as three modular and granular scoring systems within the game. Quite allow you to do a, um, a, a, a a score creation system natively without creating too many like issues surrounding ties and things like that, and you can resolve ties pretty easily based on even on the granular granular elements of that. Um, so I thought though, like I, that that's for me is a preference thing, and, and I, I and you know whatever it does, wouldn't stop me from going back to worlds, but um, but I, I just thought it was like ah, oh, it's, it's weird that you've like you guys have got a game system that has a granular tape like ladder building system and didn't use that. Um, so that, that was those are probably the two things that I would change. And, and just for anyone who doesn't quite understand what Tom's talking about, um, most tournaments would would say win loss would be your first like your first scoring mechanism. Then you often see something like battle tactics, whether it is, you know, how many battle tactics did you score? Some tournaments will do how many did you deny of your opponents? Then it would be, did you score your, your grand strategy or not? And then maybe fourth fourth kind of scoring piece is strength of schedule. So, mm -hmm. um, so Games Workshop in this particular event, we had strength of schedule as the secondary one. So first was just win-loss, then it was strength of schedule, which um, it, pros it, and it cons that... It worked out as strength of schedule first, and then wins losses second. So if you look, yeah. if you go back and have a look at the ladder, there are people with three three wins, five losses over four win individuals. So it, like I said, it, it led to a very unusual way of scoring a, a tournament. Uh, I would agree with you on that. Uh, actually, before I even agree or disagree, Henry, would you? Ha, what do you feel about what Tom said? Like, did you feel the same thing, or do you have um, different? A hundred percent. I definitely kind of agree with everything that Tom has mentioned. Um, according to the, the scoring system, I came either 66th, 69th or 84th, um, depending on if you check the app, the website or the widget. Um, mm. So whether there's like there's even an issue there. Um, and like that's not to say that they didn't put on a great event. It was their first time. So like I, I do want to preface that any of the other kind of complaints if you can call them that or critiques is very much it's the first time they've been running they've run this um and there's obviously going to be teething issues but yeah i 100 percent agree with tom um like i said I, I played one game for four and a half hours but we weren't rushed to finish i think we ended up playing another 45 minutes 
we were very much in the the world's bracket, which was kind of the the people who weren't in contention for the top spot at this point. Um, but why should we be allowed to play an extra hour and a half over someone someone else? Um, and just little inconsistencies like that. And a lot of that, I think, comes down to it. It was the first time, so there's going to be a lot of learnings. Um, can, can I just interrupt you for a second, just because some people are going to be thinking, wait, wait, wait a minute, Games Workshop is their first event. They've obviously run a lot of events, yep. both in Nottingham and obviously the GW Open Series, which has happened for two years in a row, three or four events a year. So it's not that they're first events, but this particular format with the four yep. quadrants and the team's interactions, that was the first. And um, yeah, a lot yeah. of a lot of a lot of new um, things to apply in addition to running a successful tournament mm. and providing good judges and everything like that. So I, I definitely don't want anyone to think it was not a great event. 100% it was amazing. I would 100% be going back. Um, but yeah, it's from from someone who has run events before, very much teething issues. I would be very surprised if any anything like that happened at the next one. Um, one of my kind of biggest issues that I had with the event was the players pack. Uh, like we've touched on earlier, I was in an opposite situation to Tom. I had tons of time to prepare, um, but I only got the players pack. We only got the players pack about a month out, um, which had the scoring matrix, which was a very different scoring matrix to the list that I had written for. Um, that's that's on me. I was trying to, to second guess what it could be, um, but by not kind of only releasing a players pack for your, for your world championships, your big flagship event, a month out, I think, is probably a little bit not great, um, especially because most of the people who went probably had some inkling to, hey, I am a player of a certain skill level. There's a decent chance that I might get an opportunity to go to this. Um, and even just good competitive players in general would likely read what the players pack was um, to see for, like, I know, like, I know I read any players pack that I can get my hands on. Um, to just see what other TOs are doing, to see what kind of, hey, uh, there was, I think it was, I actually think it was yours, Coach, um, last year you had some particular wording on an, in a paragraph. And I was just like, ooh, that's really good. I'm stealing that. Mm. Um, and so I just copied and pasted into kind of my working players pack for my next event. Um, but, yeah, releasing that a lot earlier uh, would have would have been a lot more, a lot uh, very useful from my perspective. And then this might be a bit of a, um, a dicey, a dicey opinion, um, but adding a sports component. Um, so the, like the big three aspects of tabletop wargaming from my perspective are your generalship, your skills on the table, uh, your painting, the quality of your models and your sportsmanship, your, like how you approach the game. Uh, cause when it comes down to it, it is a game between two people. Uh, if one person doesn't enjoy the game, then there is something wrong with how that game was played. So adding in some form of sports component, I 100% understand why there wasn't, um, especially even just to, to sum it up in one thing is just the language barrier. Um, like some of the players, like everyone that I played with was great, um, but like some players have thicker accents than other players and sometimes the language barrier can cause issues. And you definitely don't want to um, negatively affect anyone's score sheerly because the two accents just don't line up. Um, but some of the some of the situations that I heard about kind of after the fact or saw kind of after I'd finished my games and was just wandering around, um, I, I definitely think adding some form of sports component might have mitigated some of the kind of 
um, more negative interactions, especially like Tom mentioned, when um, players had to kind of math out a game, uh, which is never a good feeling because it's you're basically kind of trying to convince the judge who is there and who is just trying to get to an agreeable outcome that sometimes someone's going to lose. That's it. Um, unfortunately, it might be you. If you're lucky, it might be your opponent. But there is that kind of flexibility there. And I've seen, I heard one player kind of ask his friend how his game went. Um, and he was just like, oh, it was a great game until it wasn't. Um, and it was just referencing the fact that he had a bit of a contentious mapping out of a game against his opponent. Um, and it was kind of neither of them were in the wrong, um, but probably both of them could have done better to, to make it a more enjoyable end to the game. I'm laughing at you, Henry, because there was one particular game where both players said to me on the side that they, their opponent slow played them. Yeah. And I'm like, like how, how could you both be calling the other person slow playing, which is fascinating that, um, and obviously sports can be weaponized, but um, yeah. I can probably, yeah. I can, I can probably agree with you around the, the players packet, definitely getting it out open. Tom, to your point around the, the chess clock and Games Workshop, um, at least from the conversations I've been a part of, um, we weren't taking chess clocks off people, but when it comes to managing time, it is difficult to basically wrap up a round, get the next round ready to go, get a game to go through its natural conclusion, but still keep within a schedule. It's a it's an interesting challenge that that we need to work on. And whether we adopt chess clocks, which is a very, very, very unlikely, I would not suspect that will happen. Is every round four rounds? Is it like Worlds where the the singles events, every, every game is just standardised four hours and it's hard diced down? Or what else can we do to kind of get games in a natural conclusion as they intentionally want it? It's, I, think I, don't, I, I don't have the answer. I think there's a very easy fixes to that, right? Like, like my preference is, is chess clocks, and and but I can bring my own chess clock and be like to my opponent, hey, can we play with this? And you know, as long as that's not being taken off, we no issue. But even just having a, like a screen or screens just situated around the room that just have a countdown timer of like this is the round time to go. Yeah. So that, and to to your point about this whole idea of slow playing, like you know, and, and you know, when a when a game goes to time, you have to talk it out. That comment gets thrown around a lot, which you actually can't qualify unless you've called it out during a game. You absolutely can't qualify that call, um, and it's unfair to to do so. Um, but if there's a round timer going on and you, you guys continue to do the, hey, at this point, you should be up to this point and players can visibly see where they're up to, you might have a high, you, you're likely to have a higher level of um, of identification of that as a problem, if it is a problem. Or um, people are just more naturally inclined to have that mental thing of like, all right, roughly this is how long I've got, all that sort of stuff, like, like, yeah. and, and work within those parameters a little bit better. Yeah, you know, like the tournament organizers, for example. So myself, I would go around every table and let them know at particular milestones where they should be mm -hmm. up to. And I'd ask them, I'm like, Henry, what, 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 uh, what battle round are you up to? So trying to, but I, I hear what you're saying. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, we don't it's want hard games one. to, it, it is hard. I don't have it's the silver one. bullet answer for you and I'm conscious of time. Um, anything else that you would change? So I've heard time and chess clocks and it's not necessarily chess clocks. And I know... The philosophy is that you know if you if you hear people talk about this um at least from the games workshop side it's very much about sports where sports teams don't equally have the same amount of time but 
I think we saw the issues of what happens when you go over time, when some, like we're trying to discuss a natural conclusion at a very high level. A lot of games, it was really hard to talk through. It was incredibly hard because when the three hours or the four hours was kind of called, it was in the thick of round three. There was plenty of bodies on the table. Anyone could have won it. It wasn't like my opponent's mostly tabled and it's very easy to work through. No, they were super technical and we either had to make a conclusion on the spot, allow extra time, or like it was hard. It was really hard. So I think, yeah, that's probably my number one is how do we get better at this system? Hmm. There is really no, there's no answer. And that's, that's kind of the biggest thing that prompts this type of conversation is there, there is no one perfect answer. Like chess box is an answer. Longer rounds is an answer. Smaller points is an answer. None of them are necessarily the best or, or the worst. Um, it's just finding that that combination thereof that allows people to play the game. Like if you're, and this is kind of a, might be a controversial call, but if if you're playing a, uh, at a tournament and there's a three-hour round, it's relatively expected that you have an hour and a half to play. If you require two hours to play your army, you need to choose another army. Hmm. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's it's definitely a mindset um, that I bring to tournaments, right? And Tom, Tom knows this. I love to run a hundred gits. Like I'll run a bunch of stabbers to my heart. But but if I'm going to run a, a game and play it on a chess clock, I need to be able to find efficiencies in order to uh, play play my time. So, you know, does that disincentivize those really grindy armies, like, you know, putting all the zombies on the board? You know, it's just a slow game. And there was times where I saw, like, zombies versus gits, and I was just grind, grind, or nervous. It's just like grind, 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 grind. Everyone's playing as fast as they can, but it's still struggling at the three-hour mark to have completed about around three. So it's like, hmm. what's the solution? And I don't think we're going to solve it here on, on the spot. Um but is, but is there anything else that you would add in rounds to anything that you would like to to see changed or maybe even something that you really enjoyed the experience you'd like to see it more often henry uh i'm kind of it was a fantastic event like i know like we've been talking about kind of the the, the issues that we had or the recommendations we'd make for a, for a while now um but any negatives that I had at the event were grossly outweighed by the positives. Um, it's just, it's always, it's always easy to whinge and everyone likes a good whinge. Um, but no, overall the event was absolutely fantastic. Um, like the few niggly things either come down to my personal experience or my personal opinion. Um, but no, overall it was an amazing event. It was one of the best run tournaments that I have been to. Uh, and, I've been playing tournaments for quite a while now. So, um, but yeah, no, like, and like I said before, the issues that I personally had very much teething issues. It was the first time they were running this format. They had a custom built scoring app um, to be able to handle everything. Um, it was the first time they were at the venue. It was the, the first time kind of combining all of the different games and the grand narrative and a store and a, and a preview release, and doing the trophy presentations, and doing the country medals. Like, I would I would be more amazed if they got it all perfect the first time. Like, it's incredibly mm. complicated. Um, I've I run tournaments myself, and I like after going there, I have a list of notes of 
they did this amazingly. This is the standard that I need to get up to. I think I've been on a, a call almost every week for about three to four months, like a five o'clock in the morning call. So there was a lot of work that went behind the mm -hmm. scenes. So, um, you know, we appreciate it. I'll, I'll take the credit on behalf of everyone. Like it was uh, a really, no, no, no. Like it was a lot of effort that the whole team put into. Oh, okay. But I think to your point as well, um, next year it will be at the same venue. So it will be at yeah. the um, at the, the, the Hyatt, I think Hyatt, it was called, the Hyatt. Yep, so it's the same venue around the same time. So I hope that we've learned a lot. I think for me, before I go to Tom for his kind of wrapping thoughts, is um, I would like to use the time better. So if we are going to play a tournament for four days, I didn't like day, day two where there was three games and then a shadow round where people, like I said, Nicholas and Ronya played four games. And then day three, we saw some games like starting at eight o'clock in the morning, people on stream when the games ran late, like they didn't eat. Like I think got Paul Carson uh, and I can't remember who he's playing, maybe Nicholas or Ronya or, or yeah. Phil, like Christopher, they weren't eating like they, because it was like four games, sorry, four hour game. 15 minute break the next round. So um, yeah. I, I think there's a, probably a better way we can use our time and maybe standardize the the time that we play. So I think there's a lot of reflection there. But Tom, any any other things you'd like to ch to share? Or I've got one final question for you both. Yeah, no. Um, like I I went in thinking it, like feeling it was a once in a lifetime opportunity, and I walked away feeling like it was once in a lifetime opportunity. So. Like, the, like I said, there's points of critique um, and, you know, that, 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 that's what they are. Um, but outside of that, it was an incredible experience. It was, um, like, truly just a joy to be there the whole way. It was a privilege to be there. And, and once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that I hope at some point gets to be a twice-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and, and like, because it was, it was that good. Um, and, you know, and, and I walked away, like, incredibly proud of, of how I performed and, and, and what I was able to, to achieve there. So, um that that was that was really special and nothing can ever take that away and it's been 90 minutes now and tom hasn't mentioned or i haven't mentioned that tom actually got awarded best painted at the at, at age of sigma which uh first off did incredibly well on the tabletop but also um i think that that must have been an honor like being able to because tom you've won plenty of painting awards like like i don't want to like undermine you here it's like Painting awards, like you just win them, like you just rock up and people just tr throw it at you. But winning best painted at the World Championships must have been special. That, that absolutely, um, and um, uh, it's been actually it's been like a really cool thing, like that's actually spread out into the bigger part of my life because um, I don't know if you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but we're, but we're nerds, um, and I've, I've what. Uh, <laughs> and I've, I've hidden that like from the world pretty much my entire life. Um, like, you know, people know that I'm a nerd, but not like what type of nerd, just not how big of a nerd. Um, and a lot of my friends aren't attached to this hobby or anything like that. And um, sort of like people knew that I was going overseas for being a nerd. And and um, like the amount of support that I had from friends and, and family going over was, was amazing. Like, you know, it was nice to have a bit of a cheer squad. Um, and... Um, yeah that genuine interest um and to come back and be like hey like i i by the way i, I won that like uh, like that's something that, like and the like not not that the praise has been like you know like life-altering but just being like that's a 
that's an achievement like as my brain fires its last synapses i'll be like you know i'm, I'm so like that's one of my really big points of pride that I, I did that i went over i represented myself really well and um and yes i did walk away with 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 that with that accolade which was um yeah, I'm, I'm, I still haven't, like, I don't know if I've actually fully processed that because that's a big deal. That one was a big deal for me. There were some awesome painted armies. Absolutely, but, um, yeah. Like, you know, they, and it wasn't, you know, there were this incredible painters as well as players. Um, you know, Caleb Walters, for example, incredible Zinch, just to Ricky name Fishers. one of them. Rickies, yeah, that, sh- that army was insane. I was, I was expecting that to take it out, to be perfectly honest. I was like, that was great. Um, and that's just tipping the iceberg. Like there was a lot of great armies. Yeah. So kudos to you, mate. You Thanks, very mate. well deserved, very proud. And um that's why we, like poor old Tom was sick at the time. We're like, if you could get out of your deathbed just for half an hour, please come. <laughs> I please actually come. got up, walked down the um the aisle to get the award. Um and um Mika from uh the Netherlands, who we'd sort of become a bit friendly with, um her and her husband were, were unreal. They, they were playing um kill team. Uh, but we just sort of bumped into her and kept talking to him. She like ran up, took a photo, and like with my phone. And I walked back down the aisle, and she's walking back down alongside me. And I grabbed my phone and walked straight back out the hall to throw up again. <laughs> it was um, it was oh. it, that that virus that was going around was was pretty brutal. Yeah, it, it even knocked out a few of the tos. Just to yeah, it was it was crazy yeah. towards the end. I'm so glad to have dodged it because like um, like. Yeah. But Henry. What would you say to somebody uh, who maybe is listening to this and inspired to win a golden ticket or maybe is a tournament organiser who is thinking about uh, applying? And by the way, uh, in the episode description, if you uh, want to apply for a ticket, uh, there is a application and a reapplication. So if you had a ticket last year, this year, you can reapply for next year. If you didn't get a ticket this year, you can apply for next year. And there's a little qualifier thing and... Um, yeah, put put your put your hat in the ring and obviously aspire to to be a TO with the golden ticket. But Henry, what would you say to someone listening who is maybe aspiring to attend or run an event that has a golden ticket for this opportunity? Um, well, hopefully in four months, uh, four sorry, five months, I'll be able to tell you what it's like to run an event with a golden ticket because I have applied to get a golden ticket for Contest of Fools, so I haven't got a confirmation one way or the other yet. So still hoping out for that. Um, but if you're going, like, if you're going to events to try and get a golden ticket, like if you, if you want to attend the world championships of Warhammer, do it a hundred percent. You will have a, you will likely have an absolutely fantastic experience. You will meet, uh, kick-ass other players that will play at the absolute top level. And it will be like Tom said, a once in a lifetime experience. Like it is a huge achievement to get there. Um, but prefacing all that you will be rubbing shoulders with the best of the best. Um, so you definitely need to know how to lose graciously. Uh, like I personally had one win, two draws and five losses. I am 100% happy with how I played, but if I went purely over there to win the whole thing, I'd be very disappointed. I went over there, have an awesome time to play some amazing games, to make lifelong friends and to, to sneakily advertise my business. Um, but it was an it was an awesome experience. So I would a hundred percent recommend if anyone gets the opportunity to take it, uh, it's going to be something that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. But definitely temper your expectations. Simply knowing that you can hang with the best of the best is a huge achievement. Even if you don't get the get the final win or get the podium or get into the championship bracket, you made it to the world championships of Warhammer. 
Like that's applause worthy already. Yeah, everyone who who went there is a winner in their own right. So uh, nicely said, Tom. What would you say to them? Uh, do it. Like, um, and I think the more that this sort of thing can get up and running, the the better. Um, uh, like, I was actually I was really impressed in the lead up to it because events started throwing these tickets. You know, and amazingly, like, threw some support behind it as well. Like, you know, kudos to you, coach, and. Uh, the guys here in Sydney Slaughter and you know Josh down in, in Melbourne, like that, that's a big thing to be able to offer to people. Um, and if that happens and be, and a community builds around it, um, that's awesome. And what we what I didn't see in the lead up to it was like, you know, because that's putting stakes on the table, right? Like that's putting pretty big incentive to do well at an event. Um, uh, and we, I didn't see that like becoming an issue at any event that I went to. Like nobody was like, I'm about to like step on my grandma's neck to get, um, to get a ticket happening. Um, so like, I think, I think that what it does foster is just this really incredible community of like celebrating representatives and, and getting that up and running. And, um, I would so, so go back again. Um, and I, and I hope that I can, um, you know, hopefully I get, I keep, I, you know, I don't just start playing like a numpy and maybe do qualify for 2024's uh worlds and i'd love to go back over with the guys like you know the five players that we had could not have asked for a better group of guys you know david um who brought his brother Dava, um joel mitch and christian who came along and, and of course henry and jl who um you know and I've, I've been talking to absolutely everyone since we got back like it it, it formed like going over and, and being part of a a team um and yeah having that that support network over there and just the most like wonderful positive people was um was what made the trip for me like i wasn't going to to i wasn't going to the world weirdly i wasn't going to the world championships of warhammer to win the world championships of warhammer like i that i knew that that was never going to be a realistic expectation my my hope was to like not lose eight games um and just have a great time and meet some incredible people and, and that, I, I had that in spades um you know, and I think that it was a, a great thing too in terms of the the lead up to it, and you know, our friends that that did get to go, um, you know, like yeah, like we're trying hard at at playing Warhammer um, and trying to do well at it, but um, I don't think anybody was like sacrificing their their sanity or their mental health to do it. Like it wasn't like you know, if I don't win, war oh boy, like is that gonna like the attitude from pretty much everybody that I I met over there uh, and that we went with was was awesome so i think that's a big thing to be mindful of as well is you know we play this game because we love it um not because we like you know we we're all about winning um it's just about representing and having fun and enjoying the game and getting out of it what you put into it um so like i hope people are, uh, get to keep playing at these events that qualify i hope people get keep to get going to get keep get to get going keep um getting to go to the world championships um uh, but just that, remember, like you know, you're there to have fun and, and just have fun in the pro the whole process. Because um, AOS, you know, is uh, and, and I've I've said this from the moment I started playing the game. There like there are like games that have like you know the the, the cleaner competitive rule sets that that exist, right? Like, but that's not why I play AOS. Like AOS is like you know it a lot of because it's fun. Like and every game is fun and the community is fun and. Um, events for it are fun and that is that really should just continue to be the emphasis of what people do this for like don't like you know don't get too hung up on 
on outcome just just get hung up on on being part of it and getting into it to close it off and just in the spirit of uh community and mm. spirit um it might be worth calling out just the georgia war band for example who i yeah. think were the the holy trinity of um of what a great community looks like uh these folks picked people up at the airport even at like midnight and stupid o'clock in the morning some of these people put them in um their own house and you know allowed them to stay to save mm. money these people um one person forgot their army in an uber uh, on their way to the, the tournament to fly over and someone literally grabbed an army got their like got the exact same models from the community and got them to that player to, to be able to uh, to play um that's just what just a, a small sample of the things that the the georgia uh, war band did so even beyond that i don't know if you heard the story that happened with our friend mitch um who got deadly ill like he i think he was one of the first people who got hit with that that illness and alone kevin. like he was, was staying kevin? by himself it was kevin like mitch mitch just put out a like he was like i think that i like i was like he was on the verge of needing to go to hospital like he was that sick it was yeah really bad 2 a.m. had been throwing up, had been like dehydrated out the wazoo. Um, and Kevin just on online was like, no worries, man. Like, I'll, you know, I'll, where are you? Like, let me know. 2 a.m. in the morning, drove around, got him medicine, um, got him supplies and dropped it. Like, you don't, you don't get that unless you meet like the nicest group of people on the face of the earth. So um, that to me was just like, that is a, that is a Superman moment. Like, that is, a, that is an amazing thing that that community um brought to that event was just that level of support and positivity yeah and I, I think that's a great reflection and by the way don't get wings from hooters um as much as <laughs> learned uh hooters wings off the table uh but more importantly though just like i think it's just a great reflection of the community um and on that nice warm fuzzy feeling tom if people want to chat to you and find more or uh if people want to see your army man like mm. see this award-winning army um what's your twitter what's your instagram handle sorry uh, yeah, so the best place to get in touch with me is, is through Instagram, and my painting um, account is Tomo Paints, T O M O Paints. Um, so you can see all my stuff up there. I'll put a link in the episode description. Perfect. Go check it out. Go give him a follow and uh, go check out his award winning uh, Nurgle Army. Thank Any you. shout outs? Uh, yeah, heaps. Um, but first and foremost, um, definitely my wife, who was just the ama most amazing, supportive person um you know when she found out i was going it's like yeah that's awesome like, like you should absolutely go to that um and it's just been incredible the whole way through um and you know you, that that you know this is pretty big life stuff so we get to do that um but then just you know these in the entire australian community like you know um just amazing and, and i'm so proud to be part of it and so proud to have represented it um with amazing people better people than me henry um i've also got a shout out my wife it'd be a bit awkward if i didn't uh because i know she does watch these videos um but yeah happy, no. bir happy birthday from yesterday jl happy birthday jl i hope you um, i hope mitch didn't steal any of your cake mate <laughs> um but yeah shouting at her she was an amazing traveling companion uh really helped out and she was kind of she turned into the mother for the whole team um mm. as much as we weren't a team we all hung out the whole time um like we all went out for dinner um and she just turned into the the mother for everyone just helped out everyone uh which was amazing um but yeah same as tom said like the whole australian community like the fact that we are able to play at at such a high level is because the rest of the community supports everyone um and i could list 20 players 
straight off the top of my head other Australians that 100% they deserve the chance to go over um, to do it uh, to go over and play uh, and that only happens if you have an absolutely fantastic community um, and tons of people behind you that uh, are keen to support you and push you to, to be as uh, the best that you can be um, but yeah a, a shout out to G-Dub as well for putting this on yeah. um, like it's a it's a huge opportunity so we want to see we want to see it happen again I want to see more people go over I want to see um other australians go over have a have an awesome trip make make kick ass friends um and like i'm pumped to see the rest of the everyone that we traveled with like i'm pretty sure we're all going to be at cancon uh early next year um and some of the in jokes that we have now is gonna they're just going to be legendary so awesome tom henry thank you so much for your time apologize to your role-playing group henry uh your rpg not like you know i mean if you were a cosplay and do some things i'm not uh, you do you mate uh i'm not i'm not i'm not adding you at all but uh tom henry thank you so much for your time i hope if you have been watching this video you have got some new insights if people want to learn more about the world championships uh, i've done a video with um tom megan's where we actually previewed the meta and what the event was looking like uh on my uh youtube shorts i have a couple of videos from the actual event so i actually previewed and show you what the actual day looked like and i actually interviewed the winner uh nicholas tasson um so if you want to hear about how he won and what he did to kind of win the event uh that is also up on youtube so i think this is the end of my world championship kind of coverage and we can all focus to the next battle scroll and flesh eater courts and what uh general's handbook 2024 might look like but thank you both for your time i hope you enjoyed it and you know the deal like subscribe yada 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 uh, until next time thanks again bye everyone thanks See cheers guys Thanks for hanging around until the end. I hope you enjoyed that video and you walked away with a few new ideas. Now, if you did, I would love it if you pressed like on the video, as well as left me a comment with your thoughts. The conversation will continue over on Discord and the link is down below in the episode description. I also want to give a massive shout out to the AOS Coach patrons and YouTube members who are supporting the channel and the growth that you're seeing here. So cheers, you are all bloody legends. And until next time, don't roll a double one on a spell cast.